So as we have mentioned in many ways this morning, today being Palm Sunday, we see how Jesus continues to move forward. I find myself thinking about that action on most Palm Sundays, Jesus continuing to move forward, moving forward through the celebration, through the proclamation, through the shouting of hosannas and save us. Jesus moves forward entering Jerusalem in a way that would traditionally signify war, coming in as the expected Messiah. But instead of coming in a way of intimidation, Jesus comes in a way of humility, riding on a donkey instead of a chariot. I find myself thinking about Jesus moving forward amidst all of those celebrations, amidst all of the praises of Hosanna and Save Us, with all of that energy and all of that conviction. I think about Jesus moving on ahead, aware of the passion which will happen and is happening, and then Jesus moving forward finally to the place of the skull. This season, however, I found myself thinking a lot about Jesus stopping. One incident in the Palm story in which Jesus is passing through and all the people are shouting those praises of Hosanna, except just a few people. Matthew Corral actually read a devotion to um, us as the staff this last week about Jesus being stopped by the religious leaders and the authorities, telling Jesus to stop all of these people from calling him the Messiah. And I found myself wondering, when have I, as an established religious leader, when have I and how often do I stop the spirit when perhaps someone approaches me with an idea for ministry? And then I remember that answer. I tell you, even if they remain silent, the stones would cry out. There are those times Jesus is stopped by others, whether it's through worry or annoyance or fear or even hate. But he keeps going. But there are also those times Jesus stops himself. Those times may involve being able to pray. And the last time that we see Jesus do this is at the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't hear Jesus praying alone many times. We often read about Jesus going off by himself to pray, but we don't know what happens. We don't know what he says. We don't know what he does, if he says or does anything. And the truth is, we are probably not meant to know. Maybe because it is too awe-inspiring for us as humans. If we think back to the transfiguration story, that was overwhelming enough. Or maybe simply Jesus, even Jesus, needs time by himself. But this time, in the garden, Jesus invites us to come with him. And not just as disciples, but as part of the story. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Stay awake with me. I haven't been able to get that quote out of my mind last week. 
Most of the time, we talk about this, this story in the context of the disciples, of course, us as falling asleep, maybe because of our weakness, our inability to follow Jesus fully to that last stretch of where he goes. It bears asking constantly, what does it mean to stay awake with Jesus? Are we willing to not only go where Jesus goes, but are we also willing to see what Jesus sees? Michael Battle, who is an Episcopal priest, once wrote, Even though it may be painful, we must stay conscious of Jesus' passion. We must do this in order to stop abusing the image of God revealed in the dignity of every human being. In other words, Jesus' passion helps us to see how our particular human identities, based on socioeconomic, gender, sexual orientation, race, age, or any other criteria, always relate to the image of God instead of to the self-interest that leads us to violence and competition. It reminds me of a phrase that a fellow seminarian said to all of us at a chapel service one day. We would rather talk about Jesus than what Jesus talked about. So there is that element. We are called to walk with Jesus as well as see with Jesus as well as respond with Jesus. But I don't know that that is all of it. Stay awake with me, for I am grieving. And going a little farther, he drew himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus not only stops moving forward, he physically and with everything else throws himself upon the ground. He collapses. And we witness, perhaps, the most honest and authentic prayer in all of humanity. Dad, please tell me I don't have to do this. What does it mean to be truly alone? Jesus is revealing to us here perhaps the most vulnerable state that he has ever gone through in the entire Gospels. And in this story, no one is around to see it. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Over and over and over. But of course, it is not just his disciples. It is not just that his friends are not with him. He receives the same response from God. McGray de Vega, in his book, Embracing the Uncertain, writes, There may be no more difficult moment in our faith journey 
than when we find ourselves unable to hear God's voice, discern God's will, and turn our full life over in surrender. This reminds me of that scene from The Passion of the Christ in what might be one of the most difficult scenes. When Jesus is praying in the garden, he's praying toward the sky, toward the heavens, and there's a bright full moon. And as Jesus is praying for God to be with him, this giant dark cloud passes over the only light source and leaves Jesus in darkness. Abandoned by everyone. I remember years ago, I was in high school, maybe even college, and the the pastor that we had at the time preached upon this. Now, for you theology nerds, this is probably what we would call punitive substitutionary atonement theology. This idea that during the passion and during the cross... Jesus not only takes the sins of the entire world, of all of humanity, but perhaps even more important than that, is totally abandoned by God's presence. That in that moment, God turns away from the Son. Just for a moment in human time, our pastor preached. And yet, in divine time, this could have lasted for all of eternity. And I remember as a young adult sitting there listening to that sermon and and having this imagination, perhaps even this vision of someone or something awaking in that moment. As Yeats put it, what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. So do we follow Christ out of fear, out of fear of what God will do to us if we don't? Do we follow Christ out of guilt, guilt that he paid the penalty for our sins and we are not even strong enough to stay awake? Why do we follow Jesus? At the end of the first chapter of Mark, Jesus has already brought together his disciples and they are already traveling from town to town, giving acts of miracles, of healing, of curing the sick, of giving sight to the blind. All day into the late hours of the night, Jesus and his disciples are healing. They're working Jesus' power on behalf of the world, on behalf of humanity, and it is a wonderful celebratory experience. And finally, in the middle of the night, they're exhausted, they go to sleep. But Jesus wakes up early in the hours, even before dawn, and he goes to pray. And when the disciples finally wake up, they see that Jesus isn't there, and they're wandering all over the town trying to find Jesus. They finally see him on the outskirts, and he's there praying by himself. And they run up to him saying, Jesus, Jesus, it's morning. It's time for us to continue to do this great work. And I just, I imagine every time Jesus doesn't move. He doesn't budge. He doesn't even acknowledge their presence. He continues to pray. And every time I read that story, I wonder, did he know? Did he know at that point? Was he maybe praying the exact prayer that we hear him pray now in the garden? And finally, he opens his eyes. He looks at his disciples, his friends, and he says, get up. Let us be going. For this is what I came to do.
This message is on obedience. This Palm Sunday, this Passion Sunday, we are focusing on obedience. What does it mean to obey? Do we obey even despite our inability to stay awake? Do we obey even despite not wanting to sometimes hear what Jesus has to say? Do we obey even despite our exhaustion, our feeling overwhelmed, our wanting to drop, to collapse? Do we obey despite our feeling alone? Do we obey simply because we have to? Or do we obey because we trust? Isn't that how the song goes? Trust and obey. Not obey and trust. Every single time Jesus prays in this garden, every single time he experiences the silence, every single time he finds that no one, no one seems to be listening. Every single time he is honest about his exhaustion and his fear, not my will, but yours be done. This doesn't mean that what Jesus thinks does not matter. It doesn't mean that what Jesus feels does not matter. It means that in the midst of all of this, in all of that honesty, Jesus still trusts. Let us get up and get going. For that is what I came to do. Sister Margaret Farley, who was a Christian's ethics professor at Yale, once wrote, Christianity is therefore not a religion obsessed with necromancy and pain. It is a religion of resistance and a religion of hope. The point of the cross is not finally suffering and death. It is rather that a relationship holds. There is a love stronger than death that can withstand whatever the forces of evil do against it, and that can hold suffering even as it struggles to alleviate it. The God of Christians is not an arbitrary ruler who demands the price of suffering and death, but a God who makes possible all of our loves as well as our resistance to evil. The meaning of the cross can be understood finally only within the whole of the good news of the promise of God to overcome terror and fold us in life and dwell with us forever. Let us pray. Oh God, we begin this week, this week of holiness and celebration. We sing the songs, we shout the joys, we wave the palms and the crosses, even as we acknowledge, even as we know that it will get heavier, it will get harder. And perhaps in those moments when all we can do is collapse, we may feel as though no one is listening. And so we ask that you help us to listen to each other, to listen to the voices crying out, Hosanna, Save us. May we respond to those voices with your presence, your love, your grace, and may we do so in trust. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This week, liturgically, scripturally, spiritually, every other Lee 
is going to be a roller coaster of occasion and of emotion. It is going to be a time of celebration, it is going to be a time of meditation and reflection, it is going to be a time of hardship and of grief. And when we get to that time of joy, it will be a time of miracles. And of course, as we know, this is the rhythm of life. Perhaps this Holy Week, more than any other time, will embody the rhythm and the flow that we have been going through these last couple of years. And even in the midst of that, we may feel as though God is not listening, that God is not present. And maybe the only time we will know God's presence is by the retelling and the resharing of these stories that encapsulate and embody Holy Week. May we live into these stories so that, at the very least, we may trust that the story continues. May that give us hope, and may that give us peace this Holy Week. Amen.